Hi, I'm Greg Lefebvre, the creator and host of the Compulsive Storyteller podcast. Today we're introducing a new segment on the show called Pass the Mic. Once or twice a month, we'll invite a talented guest with an interesting story to join us on the podcast to tell their story or to chat with me about storytelling. I'm excited to introduce today's guest, Kevin Allison. Kevin is the creator and host of The Risk Podcast, where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share since 2009. Kevin is also a member of the legendary sketch comedy troupe, The State, known for the hit show on MTV in the 90s and reuniting for a tour this coming fall. And now, Kevin Allison. Okay, ready to go? Well, there was a place called Luna Lounge in the Lower East Side of Manhattan that in 1996 was like the mecca of alternative comedy. It was so popular. There were, it was always jam-packed. And, and all these people that, you know, were pretty big names back then, but now are huge names like uh, Dave Chappelle and Louis C.K., Sarah Silverman, Janine Garofalo... All these people were always there. I live on the Lower East Side. What was the physical place like? Was it a basement? Or was it was. It, it was a basement between Houston and Stanton on Ludlow. So it was pretty near Katz's Deli right there. I live on uh, Houston and uh, Christie now, so I'm still a stone's throw away. Okay, so it sounds like a great place. And there was a night in 1996 when it was at the height of its popularity when I jumped up on that stage and I thought, oh my gosh, this is kind of a make it or break it moment because there's all these important people here. There were also industry people there, you know, agents and managers. And I was prepared to do a comedy monologue by myself for the first time. And I thought, oh my gosh, I really have to nail this. And the thing was, the reason it was so nerve wracking is because my sketch comedy group had just broken up. I had burst into comedy after graduating from NYU and had immediately gotten on TV. My sketch comedy group, The State, was so successful with our career at NYU that almost immediately upon graduating, we had our own TV show for a few years. Wow, wow, that's amazing. But then we broke up and now I was like, oh my God, I'm all alone now. I, I have to be on stage with no one there to catch me if I fall, because that's the secret of sketch comedy groups, improv comedy, all that sort of team sort of comedy is easier in so many ways because if you drop the ball, someone else can pick it up or make a joke about it. Or Absolutely. Yeah, so I was a nervous wreck. Emotionally, was it a serious breakup? Yes, it was a bit like the Beatles, actually, you know, where it was like a year and a half or so of are we breaking up or aren't we breaking up and, and should we keep trying to stay together? It was because we had so many contractual problems. We were trying to do something first at maybe Comedy Central and then something at maybe Disney and everything was just so confusing and taking so long that everyone was starting to starve and, and, you know, started to do things behind one another's back. So it, it just became too messy. 
But I'll tell you one thing. A lot of the other members of the state had gotten up at Luna Lounge and made a huge impression on people. So I was like, well, now it's my time, you know? And I I got up on that stage and I had prepared a monologue where the whole joke was, I present myself as if I'm Charles Manson. It's a character monologue, right? Then I break and start laughing and and say to the audience, I'm not Charles Manson. Do I look like Charles? Come on. And it turns out in the monologue, I'm kind of a schizophrenic guy. <laughs> like I keep bouncing back and forth. Maybe I'm Manson. Maybe I'm a lunatic. Well, <laughs> Manson himself was a bit of a lunatic, but it's all over the place. So I was so nervous about all of this that I had spent the prior three days, I, I thought to myself, here's what you do. When you have self-esteem problems, social anxiety problems, what's a surefire way to feel more confident about performing? Just memorize the heck out of everything. Yeah, that's one way. Yeah, so I had written this like nine paragraph long comedy character monologue, and I had walked up and down the whole length of Manhattan for the past couple of days just listening to that thing on my Sony Walkman with Megabase, <laughs> just hearing the monologue over and over and over and over, and I thought, I know every word of this so well that I'll be fine. Well, I'll tell you, I got to the end of the first paragraph. As Manson as Manson, right. or is he, and completely forgot the entire monologue. I'm staring out at this room. It is packed. There's people crawling up the walls, practically. It's so packed. And another thing that was crazy about it, it's the 90s, so it was actually kind of a punk rock dive bar. They didn't even have seats. It was, an, it was such a fire hazard. People were sitting like, you know, with their legs crossed yeah. on the floor. It was just a mess. Well, I thought to myself, okay, I'm. this is the worst nightmare. I'm staring out at all these blank faces who are like, what's he doing next? And I thought, okay, I cannot for the life of me remember what comes next in this monologue. I'll just go back to the beginning. Oh, dear. <laughs> Because yeah. <laughs> I, in, in a split second, I was thinking, well, you know, if I start from the beginning again, uh, then I'll, I'll get to this point and that time I'll probably remember where I'm at. So I start over and I'm like, you know, hey, everyone, I'm Charles Manson. No, I'm not. And, and everyone was like, what? Now this is like a, a Beckett play or something, you know, like a surrealist or what, what, what what's going on here? Well, sure enough. I get to the very same final word of that first paragraph and I go completely blank again. Mm. Just cannot remember what comes next. So I was really like a deer in the headlights, you know? I, I actually, I, I kind of felt like I was in water or something like that you know like like in a like like when they throw the ball at the the guy in the dunking booth and it hits yeah, yeah 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 cuz i just couldn't think what to say to everybody and i i just was it was just such a moment of panic really totally so what i did was 
I turned to the host, who was Jeff Ross, and I said to him, I can't do this. And I started to try to leave. <laughs> now, I was trying to just say it to him, but kind of forgot, oh, you're right near this microphone. So everyone heard me say, I can't do this. And in order to leave, I had to, there were, there were no aisles. You had to go through the crowd. <laughs> I had to be stepping over like a guy walking through a field of yeah. cacti. <laughs> All the people. And they thought, Oh, this is this is alternative comedy. This is like an Andy Kaufman routine. Like he's saying he can't do it. Like he, you know, like, oh, we get it. We get it now. So they start yelling out, No, you can do it. Do it. Do oh, nice, it. Nice. Do oh. it. And then finally, I get to this point where it's getting so hard to get out of there. I'm saying to people, no, I can't do this. And finally, someone grabs one of my feet and I fall into the crowd. So you were they, up on a, on a stage? No, no, no. I was, I was climbing over people out there in the audience. Got you. Someone grabs one of my feet and I fall into them and they start crowd surfing me because that was a huge thing in the 90s. They crowd surfed you back up to the stage? They absolutely did and it was so awkward because you know everyone's only three feet everyone was seated cross-legged on the ground so there was just i was three feet off the ground being bobbled up back onto the stage right so they kind of surfed me back up there and kind of belched me back up up onto that stage and everyone was cheering and i'll tell you something happened in that moment i, I realized i was like i am not the dominant partner in this power relationship <laughs> they want me to do this goddamn monologue and they think i can and they've got your back definitely yeah literally right exactly they they believe they believe i can do it and something about that made me be able to remember the rest of the monologue perfectly. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, I picked it back up and did it. And it went over huge. It was a huge success. Great story. Yeah. So. Oh, my God. I'll tell you, there was a guy from, I think it was the Abrams Agency. I don't know if the talent agency is still around, but, but he was a big, important, like at least like commercials and indie films sort of agent. And he said to me afterwards, he was like, you knocked it out of the park. You were the best act at the show tonight. You stole the show. And it was so funny. I didn't have enough, like, I don't know, savvy to like play it off. I, I was just honest with him. I was like, oh, you don't understand. I literally was trying to flee the theater at that point. And he said to me, oh, well, then you survived the so-called actor's nightmare. You went through the worst that it can possibly be. So you can look at that as, hey, I lived through that so I can live through anything as an actor. And you know what? 
I didn't take that in at that moment. I didn't really soak that message in because I continued to kind of be plagued by stage fright and social anxiety. But years and years and years later, yep. when I was about to turn 40, I started telling true stories on stage. Mm -hmm. And there was a big difference to me somehow psychologically telling true stories like this one. Well, they're easy to remember too, because they happen to you. Exactly. And you do feel much more like you're in a conversation right, right, right. where you can literally say to someone, oh, wait, wait, let me, what was I just saying? You know what I mean? Like, like if you, if you blank out, you can be like, wait, mm -hmm. what? Did, okay. Let me, you know, you, you can ask for help. And that's a great thing to believe you know very totally helpful. yeah so totally yeah the audience is ultimately on your side <laughs> so when i was young man maybe i started to play the violin at age six uh-huh and by the time i was like 11 or 12 i had people thought i was some kind of a prodigy which i don't think i was but and my teacher who was the conductor of the local symphony he got a gig for me to play my first recital in a, in a, in a hall. Wow. And I was, I re rehearsed with a, with a pianist for like three months and the closer it got, one of the, one of the symptoms of stage fright is you get tunnel vision and then you, you can't even see. And every time I thought about it, I just got the shakes. I almost blacked out and I was just didn't want to do it and didn't wow. want to do it. And I was just completely mortified. I told a friend of mine, and he said to me, his father was a optometrist. He says, you know what? I said, maybe I could wear a sleeping mask. It was an idea. If I can't see the audience, maybe I won't be afraid. Which is I'll be darned. Totally foolhardy. So he said, I, I know what you can do better than that. I, have, I can get some drops to dilate your pupils, and then you'll be fine. Wow. So that seemed like a solution. <laughs> so so that I had the drops, and the the afternoon before the plus i had to i had several things i had to do i had a new jacket my parents bought me i had a if you play the violin and your hand gets sweats it sticks to the neck of the violin that's bad so in my left pocket i had a uh, envelope of talcum powder and then i also thought because my pupils were dilated i was very sensitive to lead i had a pair of sunglasses in in one of my pockets uh -huh. and so I was ready to go. And also my parents said I had a new shirt, but they'd cinched it up in the back. So there was, I was just held together with like, you know, <laughs> bubble gum. So when it came time, they introduced me and I didn't come out because I was just completely frozen. And my penis was next to me and I peeked out and then I stuck my head out from behind the curtain and I could see sort of a pointillist painting of an audience because mm -hmm. I couldn't see mm -hmm. it all. And, and then I, pull my head back in again and everybody laughed. <laughs> and then and then just like you everybody said come out come out come really? out. Yeah, really? And, so, and also my sisters, I heard them chortle first of all because they kind of loved this. They were my younger sisters. So finally I I came through the curtain and I couldn't see a thing. I could see the piano was this big black blob. Oh so I my felt my God. way along the back curtain. I was holding the curtain. I had to make a sort of a leap to the piano and the pianist was sitting on on her bench and she had to jump aside then i held on then i felt my way around the piano to the front of the piano um and oh then um God. i started to play 
she started to play and then I came in and we uh -huh. had we had made a deal that if you if you forget your line, so to speak, you go back to the beginning. But uh -huh. we never discussed the beginning of that section of what we were doing. I was playing with Zeitz's violin concerto with piano. So when, when I forgot what I was doing very quickly, but I was already past the first section, I went back to the beginning of the first section. She went back to the beginning of the whole thing. So oh we didn't God. we didn't make it. So then she stopped, I started, I stopped, she started, which is much like you. And then um, at a certain point, I put my hand in my pocket and I smeared powder all over my blue jacket. Oh. Um, and and I, then I put my sunglasses on and then the crowd loved it. The crowd was chanting again because I think maybe they thought it was an act because I literally have, <laughs> so now I have my sunglasses on. And then I, I came to a point where like you, I completely panicked and came to a frozen stop and decided to flee the stage, except I did flee the stage. Uh -huh. I ran across the stage, into the curtain, out into the alleyway behind the stage and hid behind a dumpster. Oh my and, God. And that was the end of my, my recital. My sister came out behind the thing and found me and my parents took me out for ice cream afterwards, which I was not even slightly interested in because somebody might've seen me at the recital. But, um, so that was the sort of the end, beginning and end of my violin career. So, that is yeah. amazing. But there's amazing. a lot of an incredible number of parallels to you. When you were completely came to a standstill, did you get tunnel vision? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, you're exactly right. A sort of a thing where almost like, like, I don't know, in a Hitchcock sort of movie where, uh, or like in Vertigo where, yeah, like uh, you, you become a little bit hypnotized and can't quite, yeah. Well, this has been a real treat. Yes, it was very funny. It was awesome that we had such similar stories. Say a word again about, so your podcast is called Risk. And just give us a, a little riff about it one more time to stay in people's heads. Risk is the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share in public. So it's very uncensored, you know, very vulnerable, radical honesty. Some of the stories are funny. Some are terrifying mm -hmm. or, or kinky mm -hmm. or, or whatever, uh, you know. Uh, a lot of a lot of it you you could not hear on like national public radio because it's uh it's a little on the more uncensored side. We've been doing it for fourteen years, and yeah, it's wow. it's it's quite popular, but and, and it's really something to be doing it that long, you know. Oh, I was gonna say, um, the state, my sketch comedy group that I mentioned breaking up with in that story. Right. We're actually reuniting this. Oh, nice. Yeah, we're doing a show in Denver on August 30th and then probably a whole tour throughout September and some of October. Oh, fantastic. Are you going to get to New York? Yes. Yeah, we're supposed to be at the Palladium. I'm not exactly sure the dates yet, but yeah be super fun great no I'll, I'll, I'll be i'll be in the front row yeah so <laughs> fabulous well listen kevin thanks so much for coming on share the mic i really appreciate it oh thank you and good luck with your tour thanks so much okay bye-bye <laughs> Are you ready to tell your own story on The Compulsive Storyteller? We're launching a new segment of guest storytelling, and we want to hear your stories. Email a voice recording to hello at thecompulsivestoryteller.com. I'll play selected stories on upcoming episodes. 
Try to be as clear as possible in your recording, and we reserve the right to lightly edit them for length and clarity. Leave your name or contact information in your voicemail or email, and let us know if you'd like the story to be anonymous. I can't wait to hear from you. The Compulsive Storyteller is now co-produced by Greg Lefebvre and Fadia Monserath, who's also arranged the music and created the special effects. Emily Ramon does design, research, editing, and marketing. Peter Kakoma has made our theme music and for many seasons co-produced the show with me. If you enjoyed this week's episode, let us know. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Compulsive Storyteller, and we'd love to hear from you. This podcast is independently produced, so we really appreciate all your help and support. Share the show with your friends, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave a review. You can also check out our website, thecompulsivestoryteller.com, for more information. Thanks for listening, and if you didn't like this one, the next one will be another story.